God is the God of our past, God is the God of our present, and God is the God of our future. This isn't just a Christmas carol. This is what God himself says in Titus chapter 2. The grace of God has appeared. It trains us for this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the future return of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. A lot of people think, however, that Jesus was God's plan B. That all those people in the past, those, those, those people in the Old Testament, they really messed up. And so God had to send Jesus, his son, to show them how it was really supposed to be done. To give an example, a really good example. But this is nonsense. As Christians, we believe that the child we celebrate in Bethlehem's manger wasn't a surprise. It wasn't just a super nice and cute plan B in any way. Jesus has always been plan A. This was God's plan from before the foundation of the world, from the very first sin in the Garden of Eden. The entire history of Israel and all the prophets point to Jesus. The Bible is, is not about you at all. It's about Jesus and what he has done for you. This past church year, we read through the Old Testament, and every sermon I preached was from the Old Testament. And I hope you saw that, that through that, that every part of the Old Testament not only points to Jesus, but every single little piece is fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus did everything that the Old Testament required, and that gives the Old Testament validity. As St. Paul writes to Titus, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people. And what this means is that, that everything the ancient people of Israel were looking forward to has appeared in real time, in real history. This isn't just some myth. It isn't just some metaphor for something. It's real history. And we don't just believe it's real history it, it, or that, it, that we don't just believe that it happened. It happened. It really did happen. As our choir so beautifully sang, the very Son of God sublime entered into earthly time. And when Jesus, who, who made time itself, stepped into time, he fulfilled the scriptures everything written about him. This is how grace appeared. Grace is not just some abstract concept out there. Grace is conceived. Grace is born. Grace is revealed in the Son of God born to man in Christ Jesus. Grace is God's undeserved love for sinful man. We do not deserve God's love. We do not deserve God's salvation. And just think of what God had to do for our salvation to save us. He had to be born of a woman. 
a, a woman who, who, when she got to Bethlehem, everyone thought she had sinned and conceived a child out of wedlock, and so they wouldn't give her a room in the house, even in the house of Joseph's own relatives in his hometown of Bethlehem. And so Jesus had to be born in a stable where it's cold and damp. From the moment of his birth until the moment he, he shed his blood on the cross, Jesus suffered. And, and every single little bit of his suffering was prophesied hundreds and thousands of years in advance by prophets like Isaiah. But you know, instinctively, we place our trust and our hope in things that our eyes find appealing, which is anything but Christ. We love the beautiful, the glittery, the glamorous, the powerful, the emotional. And this time of year, we, we really love the commercial stuff. And we try to deny it, but, but let's be honest. We, we are just as guilty of making Christmas more about family, more about gifts, more about anything else rather than Christ. And here's the thing. When we confuse the things that we naturally and instinctively love with what God has promised will give us hope, what we get is sentimentality. And, and sentimentality is great, but it's not faith. And don't get me wrong, I, I love being with family at Christmas too. It's a great thing that shouldn't be taken for granted. But even without family, Christmas is still Christmas. See, sentimentality looks back at the past with, with rose-colored glasses and, and makes an idol of the past, of yourself, of your family, of, uh, or, or whatever gives you the warm fuzzies. Faith looks at the past and sees Jesus as the Savior and fulfillment of it. Jesus was born not simply as a good example or as a cute baby, but as the fulfillment of everything human beings could not do, save themselves. And just as it did for the people of ancient Israel, that means something for us and for our present. Paul continues that this incarnation of God, God becoming man, being born of a virgin under the law, trains us to reject ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Again, most people, especially those who, who've gotten burnt out from religion, think that the Bible and, and the Christian faith is, is all about morality, uh, all about how to live, all about how to be a good person, uh, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And, and that, again, Jesus was simply God's plan B who came to, to give us a, an example and show us how to live. Just think of the American version of secular Santa, who for some reason has gotten conflated with secular Christmas. Are you naughty or nice? And whether or not you are naughty or nice affects whether or not you get presents or coal. But this is not Christianity. And this is not the message of Christmas. It's no wonder people get burnt out at Christmas and, and stop coming to church if that's the message they think Christmas is all about. 
the Bible does have much to say about how to live. Just before this, Paul exhorted a bunch of different groups of people uh, how to be reverent, how to teach what is good, to love others, to be self-controlled and pure, to be subject to those in authority, to not despise God's word, to set an example to others, to speak soundly and teach God's word in truth, to not disrespect masters or employers, to not seal, to be trustworthy, and all of that so God would be glorified. But the Bible doesn't give us the law as an end to itself or as motivation even for being good. God does not say he will give us hell if we're naughty and heaven if we're nice. The motivation for doing all these things is that God loves us. That he sent his only begotten son into the world to keep the law and to die for us. As Paul says, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who are his own chosen people eager to do good works. The good that we could not do, Jesus did. And he counted as ours through faith. And so how, how could we not want to please God? How could we not want to do good to others when God has already done so much for all of us, even sacrificed himself so that we could live and live freely? When the angels appeared to the shepherds, the angels said, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That good news, those, those good tidings, that's the gospel. That's what the gospel means, good news. And this is what it is. It's for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior was born for you. He is Christ the Lord. It's for all people, and more importantly, it's for you. Just think, God's grace appeared, first, not to people living in, in palaces or even the most expensive houses in Dane County, but to lowly shepherds. Forget the, the cute little sentimental little boys. These are the, the filthiest, dingiest uh, manual labors you could ever find. God's grace is for all people, but it's also for you. God's grace appears in weakness, in humility. It appears when we're at our weakest, in, in lowliness, in brokenness, in hurt, in addiction, in loneliness, and in, in, in all these things that, that, that become uh, acutely present at this time of year. God's grace has appeared in the gospel and it lifts us above all of these things and gives us a glorious hope. You have a Savior born for you. Christ loved you before you were born, not because of anything you have done, but purely out of His mercy. That's what grace is. It's totally undeserved. Saving you was not God's plan B. And if you are sitting here tonight 
That means that God's word has worked in your heart and is going into your ears. And maybe you've tuned out for a little bit of my sermon already, and so be it, because you have heard so much gospel already, already in our hymns, in our lessons, in our liturgy, and God promises that His word works. It doesn't matter how good or bad we are, or how glamorous or how, or how poor we are, it just works. It forgives us our sins and it makes us pure and glorious in God's sight through Jesus. So even now, by what you hear, God's grace is appearing to you, even though you can't see it or feel it. And because God's grace appears to you even now, that means you have a sure hope in the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior and His grace in the future. When Jesus stepped into time and was born of Mary, He didn't stop being God. Again, our choir sang, The Virgin Mary's lullaby calms the infant Lord Most High. Upon her lap content is He who keeps the earth and sky and sea. Jesus has control of the universe. And he even did still while he was crying in Mary's lap because he was hungry. And so consider this. There is no life apart from God, the Lord and giver of life. There is no growth apart from God. And so that means that, that Jesus, even as he is sleeping in the manger, is at the very same time controlling the clouds, the rain, the seasons, the sunshine, and making grow and bring to maturity the tree that in 33 years will be cut down and used as the cross on which he will sacrifice himself. And how old do you think those Roman guards were that crucified him? Probably 33 or younger. And so that means that, that Jesus, as he is nursing from his mother, is also nurturing uh, from infancy those men who would one day grow up and nail him to that cross. And so you try to tell me that God does not care about you, your life now, or your life in the future. And while Jesus is at the very same time managing the entire universe as true God, he is also true man, managing to do everything perfectly. And so you can look to your future with hope because Jesus has already done our humanity and he's redeemed it. The womb, the manger, the home, the workshop, the cross, the tomb, the resurrection. Jesus did all of it. And the resurrection actually proves that he did it all perfectly. It's God vindicating what Jesus has done. And it proves your sins are forgiven. And it proves you have heaven. Jesus has done all of it. And he frees you up to live your life now to do good works, to live as God's chosen child. You have a Savior born for you. And so as you gather around the altar tomorrow or later this season for Christmas, for Christ's Mass, Christ's body and blood, be at peace. 
Because God has, has taken care of your past. God is taking care of your present. And God will take care of your future. God's grace has appeared. Merry Christmas. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.